Please would you join me in praying a prayer for illumination. Holy God, by your Spirit, enlighten us. Illuminate us, inspire us, not for our sakes, but for the sake of Jesus Christ in whom we live. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are are in prison, as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured, as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all. And let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, 
Plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. These two readings from the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament and from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament are about worship. The kind of sacrifices that are pleasing to God. We may all have some thoughts about the kind of worship we like or want, but the scriptures are clear that there are There is worship that God wants. But it occurs to me that we're not always clear about what what we are referring to when we talk about worship. For example, obviously, uh, what we're doing here today, a Sunday gathering to sing, to pray, to hear the scriptures, that, that is worship, right? That is a Sunday worship gathering. But worship is also an experience. It's an experience of praise, mostly a positive, intense emotion that comes with singing, songs of praise, songs that evoke passion and joy. But have you ever felt like you were in the presence of God as you witnessed the beauty of nature? Uh, Maybe you were summiting a peak in the Rockies or perhaps experiencing a stunning sunrise, or maybe just observing the wonder of a flower in your garden. (laughs) Or what about listening to the music of Bach? Or maybe you've been at a concert of your favorite rock band, and you thought to yourself, praise the Lord, this is like worship. Worship as the experience of praise. Finally, you could think of worship as all of life. Live to the glory of God. Have you ever had the sense that your life or the desire that your life would be worship? Um, That perhaps your regular charity work, your serving the poor, was an act of worship or perhaps your work? What about your study as a student? Could that be like worship? The Bible often describes a posture of living that is a continual act of praise or continual thanksgiving. This is worship as life. So, three senses of worship. All of life is worship. Worship as praise with emphasis on positive feelings. And worship as a service, as a gathering, like this one today. And I think these are all valid ways of thinking and talking about worship. And yet, they each name something different. And I hope you can see that there's overlap and overspill between these three kinds of worship. That's what our scripture readings this morning are actually getting at. 
What we do here hopefully spills over into our everyday lives. And it works the other way, too, that what's happening in our lives also makes a difference to what happens when we come here. Back in the day, you heard from Helen old stories. I'm pretty old, so I remember an old song who used to sing called Forget About Yourself, Concentrate on God and Worship Him. And I appreciate the good intention of that song. But I think it's slightly misleading that we do come every week and we bring the stuff of our lives, the burdens, the cares, the joys, and we bring that to worship before the throne of God as well. To the frustration of some, the Bible doesn't give us detailed guidelines for how Christians should plan and order their worship services. But at the same time, I think you could say that the whole Bible is about worship, about acknowledging and responding to the glory of God, about a heart that is wholly focused on desiring the kingdom of God. And there are right ways to do that, and there are also ways of doing that worship that make God crazy with anger. In Isaiah, God thunders at the people who claim to worship him. Leaders of Sodom, people of Gomorrah, do you want to know what I think of your worship? Sodom and Gomorrah. Not sure if you know that story in Genesis, reference to a very painful event in Israel's history. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were completely destroyed. Not a single living person survived. It was viewed as an act of God's punishment. But to get the full impact of those opening lines of Isaiah, you need to go back to the verse just before it, one we didn't actually read, in which the people of Israel say to themselves, well, we've been through some very hard times, but at least some of us are still alive, unlike Sodom and Gomorrah. But here we are. A few of us are still standing, so at least we're not like them. But Isaiah cuts right through their self-assurance and their rationalizing. Stop consoling yourselves. You are Sodom. You are Gomorrah. Ouch! It's like Isaiah is speaking for God to say, you're like a heap of ashes to me. So what's wrong with their worship? What's wrong with Israel's worship? The first clue is the Sodom and Gomorrah reference. Medieval and modern biblical interpretation often identified the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah with sexual immorality. But that is not how the prophets of Israel saw it. For Isaiah, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah relates to matters of justice and the failure to advocate for the marginalized members of their community, even as they work really hard to have good Sunday worship. And that was also how the prophet Ezekiel summed up the crimes of Sodom when he wrote these words. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. 
Here's the second thing. Isaiah isn't rejecting Israel's worship practices. might sound that way. Isaiah quotes God as saying, I cannot endure your solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your worship offerings, your incense, your worship calendar, your festivals, your land acknowledgement. You get the idea. God is saying to the prophet, I can't accept this worship when your hands are full of blood, when they're covered in blood. There it is. It's an integrity issue. No matter how good your worship is, in terms of its prayers, its music, the quality of the animals you sacrifice, I know we don't do that here, but this is Isaiah speaking God's word to Israel. No matter how well you do that ritual part, that will never compensate for failing to see and respond to the predicament of the weak and the oppressed around you. Ritual and ethics must go together. Worship services and worship as life and worship as praise must all go together. And Isaiah, the poet prophet, paints a very striking image here. He says, there's blood on the worshiper's hands. Now, they've ceremonially cleaned their hands after the ritual animal sacrifice. But he says that you've still got blood on your hands from a different slaughter, namely the violence and the indifference you have toward your fellow vulnerable human beings. And so the invitation to Isaiah's listeners is to repent of their complicity, their willful blindness. Wash yourselves, says Isaiah. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Do justice. Seek justice. It's interesting. Um, Justice isn't just sort of left up to the imagination here. There's an actual recommendation. There's a, a, a specific way people can speak, uh, w- w- the way Israel can seek justice. They can rescue the oppressed, Isaiah says, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. These were vulnerable people in Israel, and they are today too. Here is life as worship. Come now, let's argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll, they'll be like snow. Tough, uh, though they are like red as crimson, they shall become like wool. Those words, come let's argue, it kind of sounds like there might be some openness to debate on the matter, but that's a misleading translation. There's no debating the matter. A better translation might be, folks, let's just settle this once and for all. True worship can't exist without justice. Your Sunday worship and your lives need some spillover and some overlap. This is the consistent message of the Bible. Amos, a prophet like Isaiah, speaks for God in these memorable words. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Away with the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. 
Our God is a fire, we read last week. God cares about the way we worship. God cares about the integrity of this worship and that worship. And that brings us to the letter to the Hebrews. The writer encourages the church to let mutual love continue. Don't forget to show hospitality. Remember those who were in prison. Think about those who are being tortured, just like it might be like if you were being tortured yourself. By the way, prisons back in the first century in the Middle East area weren't like the prisons of today, government-run, sort of managed in a roughly humane way. Honor marriage. Be free of the love of money. Learn to be content with what you have. And finally, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. The fruit. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13. These biblical reflections this morning on worship, they should give us some pause because how we worship really matters. What, what then is good worship? Is it doing social justice? Is it praise and thanksgiving? Is it what happens when the faithful gather on Sunday like we're doing today? The answer is yes. And here's an especially hard question. The one that all the biblical writers and Jesus himself asks us. Is it possible that there are times when our ritual worship, our gathered worship, could be propping up the status quo as a kind of distraction from what really matters to God? I mentioned earlier that some have come to experience and understand worship as praise. I think maybe some exclusively as that. Often an intense, positive emotion expressing joy and confidence and overcoming. And for many, this worship as praise is the worship they really want the most. And that I understand. I want that worship too. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's a good thing to express these positive emotions before God in praise and thanksgiving. But we need to be careful. Worship isn't only or primarily about what we want or about positive feelings. Worship isn't actually about us at all. And as a benchmark for the worship that pleases God, what we want is probably not a great rule of thumb. Let me share a little story with you um, from my life as worship, <laughs> I hope. Uh, after a few years of uh, reading unhelpful student evaluations, there's uh, a story about a colleague of mine named Scott Daniels. Uh, who teaches at one of our Nazarene universities in Idaho. And uh, he said that after a few years of 
those student evaluations. And uh, he, he started asking his students to not evaluate his class with this question in mind. Did you like my class? <laughs> now, you want your students to enjoy your class and the learning experience. And I don't know of any professor who wants, who, you know, who plans lectures and assignments and chooses textbooks based just on how much they'll be liked. We choose materials and grade the students' work because we're pretty sure that they wouldn't read, write, or reflect on these matters out of their own free will. Am I right? I'm looking at a few of my teaching colleagues. So, Scott Daniels said this. He started asking his students to answer a different question. And I've completely stolen this idea. He says, evaluate the class with this question. Did this class do to me what it should have done to me? Was I shaped through this class in the ways I should have been shaped? See, I think that's the kind of question that actually applies to our worship as well. I think it applies to our worship here. Perhaps you started coming to this church because maybe you were initially attracted to the style of the worship services. And that is a good thing. We're glad you came. But there comes a time when every one of us needs to move beyond the did I like it. The better question is this one. Is my participation in the worship of my community doing to me things it ought to do to me? If I give myself for the next couple of years to the practices of this worshiping community, will I be put through practices that will help to form in me the Christ-like character God so longs to see formed in me? How we worship matters. Because worship forms us. The practices of worship shape us at the most fundamental level of our hearts. And for Jesus, that's everything. Where your treasure is, where your desires are, where, you, where your money is, there's where your, your heart is going to be also. Jesus knew this before 2,000 years of social science and neuroscience figured this out. It's about the heart. It's about what we desire more than anything else. How we worship is the way God wants to change our hearts. Um, the writer to the Hebrews says, let's worship now uh, in a way uh, that is pleasing to God. And um, one of my favorite writers, I didn't have time to type this out, so I'm just going to tell you. He, tells, he says this about the, the practice of coming to the Lord's table, which we're going to do today. There's a worship practice for you. <laughs> There's a worship practice par excellence. And uh, Jamie Smith says this, We at the Lord's table, at communion, are invited to sit down for supper with the creator of the universe, to dine with the king. But we are all invited to do so which means we need to be reconciled to one another as well. Our communion with Christ spills over into communion as his body in our relationships, our mutual love for one another. 
There is a social, even political reality here. There are no box seats at this table, no reservations for VIPs, no filet mignon for those who can afford it while the rest eat crumbs from their table. The Lord's table is a leveling reality in a world of increasing inequalities, an enacted vision of a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine. As we come to the Lord's table today, we come and we worship the Lord who is present. And as we do that, we remember the words of this great sermon in the letter to the Hebrews. It says, uh, keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy set before him endured to the cross for us, for our sakes. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we confess that at times we've forgotten what true worship is. We pursued the kind of worship we wanted. But sometimes we've forgotten to consider the worship you wanted from us. And we're sorry. We're sorry for getting so focused on the worship we wanted that we forgot to consider the worship we need. Have mercy on us and forgive us, we pray. God of all grace, we are grateful to be gathered in your presence this morning. You are a God who knows each one of us intimately. Our hearts are open to you. You know every desire and secret. You know every need. If there is any in our midst this morning who is tired, please give your rest. Those who have been depleted in body and mind and spirit, we pray, come Holy Spirit, restore and renew and revive us at your table. If there is any who is troubled or anxious this morning, who've been stretched and worn out by the cares and the disappointments that have come along, even with the joys, we pray, come Holy Spirit, breathe your peace and your presence on us at your table. If there is any who is grieving loss, any whose heart is heavy from the, the hostility and the division and the anger that can so easily divide us, Lord, we lift up our voices this morning in faith and we pray for your kingdom to come, your will be done. We pray for our world today especially the places where terror and war threaten peace, where the innocent suffer and are forced to flee, where the creation is groaning and fire and drought and famine threaten human life. O oh God of Exodus and the burning bush, of the prophets and Jesus, we hear your powerful call in these days to love justice, just as you do, and not stop working for it until it rolls down like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. 
Continue to pour out your spirit on this church. Bless each one who serves, teaches, leads, and gives care. Bless the pastoral team and sustain them in their ministry. Bring rest and renewal to those who are on leave. Pastor Stewart on his leave. Through your spirit, give us the strength we need to press forward to the high goal you've given us in Jesus Christ and lift from our shoulders every weight that might hold us back and free us from all the failings that tempt us from your way. We pray through your Son, Jesus. Amen.